0: Hello, welcome to the Latter-day Saint Women podcast, where we share the legacy of women of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You'll get to know the faithful women who shaped our past and hear from inspiring women of faith
1: today. I'm Shailen Back. And I'm Carly Guyman. we're your co-hosts. Today we are so excited to welcome Julia Fellows to the podcast. Julia is the Church Communications Director for the North America Southeast Area and serving as a communications director in North America is a calling or a volunteer position, and Julia has faithfully served in church communications for 15 years. In her role, she trains church leaders and members on outreach and relationship building with government, academic, and interfaith leaders. Julia lives in rural Alabama with her family, and we are very excited to have her on the phone today for this episode of the Latter-day Saint Women podcast. Julia, welcome. Thank you. Julia and I crossed paths when I was working as an employee in church communications. So I was here in Salt Lake City. Julia was there in Alabama. And whenever I had the chance to work with you, I was always so impressed with your dedication and commitment to your calling. I remember being surprised. I didn't realize Julia is not an employee. She's doing this for her calling. And you are so universally loved by everyone who has the opportunity to work with you and I'm just so excited for others to get to know you and to get to know the work that you do. Thank you. It's a pleasure. So just to get started, we wanted to jump right in. Julie, you shared with Shailen and I the very careful way that you, as you've looked back, saw Heavenly Father prepare you for this very unique and demanding calling in the church.
2: Um, I'm pretty actually amazed when I look back and see how my life has been mapped out and how the Lord has placed me where I need to be. I think often we kind of ask ourselves, are we on the right path? Are we truly fulfilling that mission in life that we've been given here on this earth? And I think there's multiple missions and there's probably multiple paths. Unless, you know, there's one that we go down that maybe we shouldn't. I think there's detours and there's opportunities to ensure that we're following his direction. And I've had a couple of instances, I think, that have helped manifest that. One specific one that brings me to where I can be today in my calling is that about 13 years ago, I couldn't hook up a computer. It was a little bit of the laugh in my family. And uh, anytime anything would go wrong, I was always yelling for my husband to come assist. And it was not too long thereafter that I decided to re enter the workforce. And my children were uh, grown and our youngest was almost. And so I applied for a position at the local school board of education offices. It was to help open a distance learning high school in our state. So a little bit of a stretch, obviously, for me but I felt very prompted to apply for that. And so many things happened that doors opened that allowed that to happen for me. And a particular instance was that I didn't hear back from them for weeks. So I was for sure they had fulfilled the position. I was serving as a volunteer at our young women's camp as a camp cook. I was a state director of public affairs at the time. And I all of a sudden received a call while I was preparing a meal and I was being invited to the interview. So I got permission to leave camp that night and I headed straight to the bookstore and I bought one of those yellow and black Microsoft for Dummies books. I stayed (laughs) up really late that night. I went through all the modules and taught myself through those tutorials all about Microsoft Office. I had actually had the foresight to ask the person setting up this interview, is there anything I need to know? And at that point in time, she had told me, yes, you're gonna need to take a test, which I wasn't aware of. And so that's how I knew to go and prepare myself for that. So um, I went, I took the test, I had my interview, and they called back and offered me the position. So I had the opportunity for many years to work in technology in so many different ways. I was training teachers. I was providing help desk support to a learning management system. I was creating training materials. I was working on websites, all these things that I had never been able to do before. And the Lord was allowing me the experience and giving me the tools that I needed.
0: Well, Julia, as you were talking There are just so many things about your stories and your experiences that I think are really relatable, especially to me personally. I was just thinking there's so many times in my life when I've been disappointed or where I've thought that maybe I wasn't like good enough to pursue a specific job or just it could be anything. I love how what you shared is that God has a path for us. And then when we have these experiences, when we look back and see how we're prepared and we see the things that have brought us to this point, we can really have confidence in our contributions, in our abilities. And you've proven that in your calling. And I just love that you shared that.
1: You told us, Julia, as well, that you had some experience both in public relations and in education, right? You had studied those subjects in college and then many years later, they've kind of come back to help you and you've added more experience to them. But I also thought that was really interesting, kind of all of these pieces through your life adding up to being pieces that you needed.
2: That's so true. And I think like many women, we don't always have the opportunity to finish our education. I was one of those and I've had opportunities since and probably just haven't taken them at this point. But I married my husband shortly after meeting him at BYU, and he was graduating and in the military, and we headed off to Europe. And we moved 15 times over the next 23 years. And those life experiences helped me to learn to appreciate and love many different cultures and religions. And I found that those opportunities to serve locally, both in the church and in the community, really also played a very active role in who I am today and in what I'm able to sort of give back in service to the Lord in my calling.
1: Julia, when I worked in church communications, I was so amazed by the power of members serving in communication callings throughout the world, and many of whom are women just like you. And We would love for you to tell us about one or two such sisters who are accomplishing the Lord's work and helping bring the church out of obscurity through communications outreach to government, interfaith, or other leaders in your area, and if you can share some of the work that they do.
2: Oh, I'd love to be able to do that. I think the nature of many women having careers with flexibility or mothers at home allows them some flexibility in their day. And also... Potentially some great multitasking and organizational skills, which are really important when you're working in church communications and outreach. So in uh, Central Florida, we have a fabulous director there. And a few years ago, I think maybe three, she started a, a religious freedom symposium in the Orlando area. It's in full swing now with many churches involved visiting keynote speakers, ongoing opportunities for relationship building with other faith leaders and houses of worship. When she first started this, it didn't take off. It was hard for some other faith groups to see the value, but it has become an extremely valuable source in the community. And there's um, sort of a ministerial association that's become an offshoot of it. And she chairs the steering committee for the symposium. She's a very active participant in the local interfaith committee representing the local priesthood leaders, representing the church. And she also helped to orchestrate along with a very able body of council members to prepare for President Nelson's visit to Orlando last year. She was able to maximize relationships she'd been building through the years with these key opinion leaders to set up VIP hosting events for President Nelson to have the opportunity to meet with people. And some of that was kind of cut short due to bad weather. And so there was still some really key opportunities there. And one in particular dealt with the Pulse nightclub. They had recently had some violence that broke out at their social club for LGBTQ citizens of the community. And the owner was one of the VIP guests. And President Nelson really wanted to take the time to talk to her and to express his love to her personally. And, and that was a very rewarding conversation for her and for him.
1: That's a neat story.
2: There's another gal that serves in a similar calling for Eastern Tennessee. She does a lot of listening and learning and partnering with the black community and the NAACP leader for Tennessee. And she champions just serve to everybody she comes in contact with. The thing that I think always impressed me the most was when a few years ago she told me that she had signed up to take Hebrew classes so that she could better understand and appreciate those of the Jewish faith in her community. So she truly embodies sort of that love of the Savior in every duty of her calling, and uh, I think she's amazing.
0: Well, Julia, I am just amazed as you're talking and remembering that this is your calling. This is a volunteer position that you are so involved with and takes so much time, and you've been mentioning some diverse populations that you've been working with, and so we wanted to ask you an understanding that you live in an area of the United States with great racial diversity and specifically a high population of black Americans. And because of this, you and those you work with are in a unique position to reach out on a local level to build relationships with black churches, community groups, and opinion leaders. So we would love for you to just share some examples of this outreach in your area and then also the ways. Church communication directors, as well as church members, really are following President Nelson's invitation to build bridges of cooperation with our black brothers and sisters.
2: There are um, so many wonderful ways that we can serve others and show our friends and neighbors in the black community that they're loved, that we respect them as equals in our eyes and in the sight of God. It is so unfortunate that there is racism, whether intended or not, in our communities. And I appreciate the fact that President Nelson has brought that to the forefront and allowed us to continue to have really important, impactful conversations. And in church communications with our messaging, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to help share the love of God, the love of the church, the love of all, while condemning racism, that we can help to heal our country and to heal the members of our church who may feel marginalized, that we can look for ways to ensure that our communication is whole and that we're not missing things that we might be doing that could be hurtful. In our area, because we are in the South, we've had some wonderful opportunities to partner with local black churches. I think of a stake in the Nashville area, the Franklin, Tennessee stake. And a few years back, they began partnering with a local black church and also with a local cemetery, it's a historic slave cemetery that had gotten neglected. I don't recall exactly how they got involved, but I remember that doors were opening that allowed us to see the Savior's hand. But one of the first projects that they took on as members was helping to desegregate the cemetery. There was a white side and a slave side in this historic cemetery, and that was divided by fence but also um, trees and hedges. And so they took all of that down. And afterwards, when I was actually attending a fireside with them, it was a celebration fireside with this local black church that they had partnered with. And it was beautiful. There was a gospel choir. There was a lot of hugging in the congregation. And and it was just wonderful to experience how they worship. And I was attending that with them. And I met one of the African-American members of their stake who had been involved in this cleanup. And he said that he was assigned to the work crew that was in charge of this one area that had this felled tree, a really large tree. This tree had been on the ground for a long time. And he's elderly. He's in his older years. But as he is part of this work crew and as they're lifting this tree, he actually found family names on some crumbled tombstones that were from his slave ancestors. He wasn't expecting that at all. And it was such a touching story, and it helped me to see that the Lord had placed him there to have that beautiful experience and for this state to be able to have that experience with him.
1: That's amazing.
2: We have a... Charleston, South Carolina, really involved as well. And these are just two of the many opportunities that people have had that are so impactful. But there was a senseless mass shooting back in 2015 at the Mother Emanuel African-American Methodist Episcopal Church, an AME church. And our local communication director, Jim, he visited the church pastor's office sort of on errand from the stake president because he had called the stake president and said, what can we do? What message can we deliver? And they collaborated. And and Jim went and he crossed under police tape um, and knocked on the door to meet with uh, the secretary, got him into the pastor's office, and he was able to share a message of love and hope. The stake president simultaneously was asking members that weekend to help and fast and pray for this congregation that they could be healed in their desperate hour. I thought that was beautiful that the stake president saw that as an opportunity for his members to um, engage. And this was all happening about the same time as we were rolling out the Freedmen's Bureau indexing initiative, which was helping African-Americans assist with indexing slave records that had been given to the church.
1: Which was a huge project.
2: A huge project, oh yes, millions of records that needed to be indexed within a year. And, um, and it was a beautiful celebration and a beautiful opportunity for Black citizens to engage in uncovering their ancestors by participating in this historic indexing initiative for the Freedmen's Bureau bank records. And many members of the church were engaged in preparing for a workshop that particular weekend that the shooting took place at the AME Church. But let me fast forward um, to 2017, just a couple years after the senseless shooting that happened. And because of the relationships that were built in between um, 2015 and 2017 with our church, with the local black community, two of our communication directors, Jim and David, they were made aware of a meeting in the city of Charleston talking about an upcoming museum, the International African-American Museum that will open in 2022. And this museum is private, um, it was being built, it's being built on the wharf in Charleston, where many slaves that entered the United States landed. So that's where they began their slavery, there on that wharf. And this uh, museum is going up as a tribute to them, an Ellis Island kind of experience to allow people to mourn, but allow people to celebrate their lives. There are so many descendants of the slaves that came through this harbor here in the United States today. And so they went and they attended this meeting. They felt very strongly that they needed to be there and to hear more about this museum. They were standing in different parts. There were over 100 people attending this informational medium. They both felt the spirit so strongly that the church needed to be involved and called me afterwards, and we created a strategic plan for to work through their priesthood leadership. Um, The area presidency approved it being presented to Elder Bednar, who immediately saw the value because not only was he the priesthood leader, the apostle for the North America Southeast area where this is located, but he also was one of the executive directors with the Family History Department. And in this shows you the Lord's hand, he was going to be in Charleston The next month, attending an area council meeting with our area presidency, and could go and meet with city leaders and with leaders of the museum to learn more and to be able to take that conversation back to the church. Well, it didn't take long at all for him to see the value of what we could offer to them through our family history libraries and being able to set one up with them and the church during Roots Tech 2018. Elder Bednar along with our communication directors and a very influential African-American genealogist, Robin, who is also a member of the church in the area, who is tied to this family history library at the IAM Museum. They were able to present a $2 million grant for the Museum Center for Family History. And all of that really started with our director crawling under police tape and rapping on the door of a local church that was experiencing a horrific tragedy. But relationships start with just reaching out, showing love and listening and serving, and I really think that that's all we have to do to help heal our communities, to help heal our own souls, to help our members to see the beauty of all God's children is love and service and listening.
1: And so many thoughts as you're sharing these incredible stories and how they're woven through time and through different people's initiatives. That's what I'm just thinking about is the value of this local outreach. And that's why we were so excited to talk to you was so that people could hear that their church is involved in this type of work. And they want to know that the church is reaching out and building relationships and really being a part of a community and just the value of local outreach. We don't get to hear about all of the different local outreach that's happening. And thats it's so great to hear you share these experiences and these stories. And for us to be reassured that that's happening all over the world through people like you, We just really appreciate you sharing the ways that we are trying, especially at a local level. And I think it gives us some ideas of ways that we can each better listen and learn and understand the experience, especially of our Black brothers and sisters.
2: Um, I agree, Carly. I think it is that one-on-one dialogue that really helps. And one-on-one service rendered to others is such an important key.
0: I appreciate that being from a different state, I heard of these things happening, but I didn't necessarily know the response that was happening through church communications in that area. And so we wanted to know for you as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, how you feel about the responses that the church is giving and the thoughtful communication that happens through these tragic experiences.
2: I love what the church is saying. I pray that my friends of color will see this as progress. I'm sure there is more that we can do, and I pray that we will as a church. But our heart is in it. We love all, and I love all, and it hurts me to know that people are hurting. I love that our prophet did not mince words, he called people to repentance. I do see racism here in the South, living in the South, being born and raised in the South, and it's hurtful, it's painful. I know a lot of it is cultural, and so it has to also be relearning. That's where I go back to, I think, that one-on-one dialogue is really important. One of my directors in the Atlanta area, he's a former state president, and he's a communication director there. And he told me that he had a neighbor, that they always just talk. They chat a lot, and kids have gotten together through the years for birthday parties, and and they both have grown kids now, and they'll just kind of stand and talk in the the yard. But he finally asked his black neighbor just about a week ago, you know, let's talk about the elephant in the room. I, I really want to know how you feel, and I'd love to share with you how I feel. And his friend agreed and um, felt more comfortable having it in his own home. And they sat down and they just had a friend to friend, neighbor to neighbor conversation. And Tom was able to really bear testimony to him how much he loved him and how sorry he was for the way he may have been treated growing up or in the community. But what our church felt and believed in that we are all God's children And it really just softened hearts and broke down barriers, and it enabled the healing of two men who were already friends, but they just needed to have that discussion. And I think as our communities truly have one-on-one dialogue, that's where we can take the prophet's message and apply it to our lives. Um, His message is beautiful and clear, but we have to apply it individually.
0: I love that example, and I love that you said— This is giving us as members a chance and an opportunity to reflect and follow the prophet and receive revelation. And so we were just wondering, can you give us an example of how the Lord has guided you through a difficult time in your calling?
2: Yes. um, When I was first called, I was still working full time. And as a family, we actually fasted and prayed to decide whether I should continue. And I was 18 months away from being vested for retirement purposes. And I knew that I was following the Lord when He um, gave me an affirmation that I should continue working full-time um, just for that for that period.
1: Julia, I think it's important, too, to point out, you've shared with Shaylen and I, that your calling could take at least 20 hours a week, if not more, sometimes as you're traveling and, and providing training. So I'm just thinking of this incredible sacrifice to be working full-time and then to be spending that kind of time really consecrating to, to the Lord's church and to His work.
2: Well, thank you. I'm amazed, actually, at what I was able to accomplish for those 18 months on very little sleep. I could not have done it without the Lord's help. For the first few years of my calling, I had a scratch pad by my bed. I'm sure many of you feel promptings in different locations and in different times. And when I finally could get my mind to settle it you know would be when I'm sleeping and uh, I would be up scribbling. And then I'd move that scratch pad to the bathroom as I was getting ready in the morning. And I felt like it was sort of that avalanche of beautiful messages that he was sharing with me of things that I needed to do. During those early years, especially when I was feeling very, very overwhelmed um, with trying to sort of keep up with life, a mother, a wife, a grandmother, a job and a calling that like you said, is very full time. I had a couple of instances where the Lord spoke to me very profoundly um, in answering my prayer, Um, and that is because I do have a constant prayer in my heart that the things that I'm doing are what He wants me to do, that it's not what my mind is thinking I should do, but that I'm following His will. I received a phone call late one night from my former state president when I was serving as his state communication director, so we had a relationship with church communication, formerly known as Church Public Affairs. And and he called me late one night, um, which, you know, normally somebody wouldn't do. It was probably about 10, 1030 at night. And he said, I just received a prompting that I needed to call you and just let you know that the Lord loves you. And he's mindful of you and he appreciates your sacrifice. And I can't tell you how tender that was for me. Because I was feeling very overwhelmed, very tired, um, but loving my calling, though. So, you know, I'm forging ahead because of the love I have for what I was doing and the passion I had for it and the people I was working with. But the frail body reminds you that you're tired and you're overwhelmed. And he felt that prompting from the Lord to bless my life. And that was very, very meaningful to me.
1: I think those moments can be so meaningful, especially as you spend so much time and so many days and weeks, and you're kind of wondering, like, does he see me? Does he know that this is what I'm doing? I think your experience is something that so many women can relate to, being asked to do something really difficult that you want to do, but you're just wondering, this doesn't add up. I'm looking at my job, I'm looking at my family, I'm looking at this enormous responsibility. And people have to determine what is best for them and their family. But I am curious, you know, what you would say to someone who would maybe say, Julie, you probably should have just said no. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I'm wondering the blessings that you've seen in your life or maybe looking back the the opportunities that this has brought you that you're so glad that you did choose to serve in this way.
2: I have learned so much in this calling that has helped me to have such a deep respect for the doctrines of the church and for the leadership of the church in a way that I'm not sure that I ever had in any of the ward and stake leadership callings that I had prior. I've had the opportunity to work with some absolutely amazing people who exemplify the true love of the Savior and magnify their callings in so many ways. I've had so many tender experiences just um, working with fabulous people I wouldn't trade it for the world. And I've had people tell me, why don't you say no? Or, Or why do you take on that additional task? And why didn't you just say no? And I think I just love it too much because the love that I feel from the Savior is one that you don't want to miss.
1: So Julia, to wrap up our conversation, as we've discussed throughout the interview... One of your main responsibilities is to help train priesthood leaders and those in communication callings on how to share the love of the Lord and the love of the church in our communities. And you've provided some beautiful examples and stories illustrating how that's done in your area. We would love if you could provide a little mini training right here for us and for our listeners on how we can rep- better represent the Savior and His church in our communities, what we can each do individually to share that love.
2: Oh, I'd be happy to. Think of yourself outside of the four walls of your cultural hall. And it's getting ourselves um, into the community, which Just Serve is allowing us to do so beautifully. If we're using JustServe.org to look for opportunities to engage in the community, That's one of our best tools. But if you want to truly provide the message of the Lord to those around you, and not just internally through our ministering among our membership, you're going to be meeting with people of other faiths in a variety of settings. Um, You're looking for efforts to foster goodwill between the church, between other faith leaders, or just members of other faith congregations government officials. You might have a civic leader that's one of your neighbors or that coaches your son's t-ball team. And so as we're building relationships, we're magnifying our love of the Savior and of God's children. And we're looking for opportunities to build bridges, bridges of understanding and um, bridges of love. And we do this best face-to-face. So it requires humility and the ability to work well with people. But more importantly, it requires the belief that the Savior will help us open our mouths. He will put the words in our mouth. He will help us open our hearts to know where he wants us to be. I think I can sum it up by saying that Elder Neil Maxwell is one of my favorite church leaders to study. And one of his quotes I use kind of in my constant thoughts and prayers is, God does not begin by asking us about our ability but only our availability. And if we then prove our dependability, he will increase our capability. So I think we can all be member missionaries and we can all message what our prophet, our church leaders, and what our Lord would have us share with our communities.
1: I've been thinking, Julia, as you've been talking, I live sort of in downtown Salt Lake, and the vast majority of our neighbors are not members of the church, and we have a very small ward. And you know, I think that my husband and I are really good about being friendly. We'll wave, and we get to know our neighbors, but I think through the examples that you've shared and also this encouragement, we need to be more than just friendly. We need to actually get to know those in our communities. We need to be a part of our communities. I even think it's like going as far as instead of just waving and saying hello, it's like ask someone their name and have a conversation with them instead of just kind of passing along like we do on our walks or go throughout our communities. So I love that advice and I love the idea that we're not necessarily preaching the gospel we're just reaching out and being a part of our communities. And we've seen in the stories you've shared how that paves the way for people to feel God's love. And that, that's our goal. That's the ultimate goal.
2: I think the ultimate goal is love. And conversion can happen through the Spirit. The Spirit converts. But we show his love and that's what we do as members.
0: Julia, thank you so much for just sharing the things that you're involved with. You have so many responsibilities that we just had no idea the incredible work that you're doing. And especially to take time out of your, we know, very busy schedule. (laughs) We appreciate you sharing. Thank you. And thank you to our listeners for joining us on this episode of the Latter-day Saint Women podcast. We hope if there was something that you enjoyed or something that you learned that you will share with your friends and family. We hope you'll join us next time.